All right, let's take our Bibles, turn to James chapter 1, James chapter 1, and we're going to look, hopefully not at too much to try to bite off tonight, verses 19 through 27, through the end of the first chapter. And as we're taking this book and focusing on what I believe is a real theme of this book, that of taking God's truth and while all of Scripture is applicable to real life, James really writes this from a perspective of dealing with believers who have been scattered all over the then-known world at that point in time, probably due to a lot of persecution and difficulty that they were going through, and really give them practical uh, insights into how to live their day-to-day -day life. We talked about trials. We talked about temptations. We talked about the development of patience that God brings about in our life and where those things all come from. And we know that all comes from the Lord. And tonight, as we finish out chapter one of James, I want us to ask this question, what do you do with the Bible, with the Word of God? And we would look at it, well, of course, we read it, right? We're supposed to study it. We're supposed to uh, memorize it. And we're supposed to carry it around with us, make sure it has a black cover and it's made out of leather. I, I don't know. We have all kinds of different things maybe that we think of when it comes to the Word of God. And James here gives us some very practical advice about what to do with the Word of God. You know, the Word of God should be something that is part of our everyday life, right? It should be, as Psalm 119 says, it's the light that lights our path, that gives us direction through life, as the psalmist says there as well. It's the thing that God uses to cleanse our way. He gives us the truth of His Word to teach us what is right. We know that Paul wrote to Timothy and he said, All Scripture is given by inspiration of God. It's profitable for doctrine, reproof, correction, instruction in righteousness. Some people have said that about the Word of God that it is God's love letter to us, that it is how God has revealed Himself to us in this day through His revealed Word. If you have gone through the continue Bible study, you know in the first uh, couple of chapters there, first couple of lessons, one of those deals with the Bible and where we got the Bible from and why we have an Old Testament and a New Testament. It was that which was written and took place before Christ and that which was written and then took place uh, during and after the life of Christ. How we see God's Word as He traces out His work and His promises throughout Scripture. I believe that as you study the Word of God, you will come to an understanding in what theologically is called progressive revelation. In other words, God doesn't contradict Himself as you go through the Word of God. Rather, He reveals more and more of Himself to us the more we work through beginning to end studying His Word. That God, His, He has a desire to have a relationship with us. And we know that that relationship is made possible through the work of Jesus Christ. But it is the Word of God that God uses to reveal Himself to us. But you know... The Word of God is not the only way that God has revealed Himself to us. In fact, the psalmist said in Psalm 19, Even the heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament showeth His handiwork. So we believe in that general revelation that we can learn about God just by looking at the creation that we see around us. 
God has also used even our own consciences to help to convict us and to help show us that there is a God. But the most specific and detailed way in which we can know God is through the specific revelation that is only found in the Word of God, through the pages of Scripture. This is how we must know God if we are going to know Him in a deep and abiding way. There are many that will say, well, I have a relationship with God. But if you ask them, and I have people sometimes call me with questions. I had a lady call me a couple weeks ago. She reads my articles every week in the, in the leader, and she said, I, I clip out all your articles, and I put them in the basket next to my chair, and I read those. And I said, well, that's wonderful. And she said, I have a question about ghosts. And she had, had a lot of questions about that. And so we, she said, I've been arguing with my friend about this. And so I know God, and I love him, but I just don't know what the Bible says on a number of different issues. And uh, came down, she likes to have a devotional, but she's never really read the Bible for herself. And I don't mean to beat up on her or anybody else who uh, struggles to read and understand God's Word, but God didn't give us His Word just so it would sit on the shelf, just so we could carry it around with a fancy cover and look special because my Bible's bigger than your Bible, or my print's bigger than your print, or, or my margins are bigger than your margins, or, you know, or I have more maps than you have in the back. That, that's not what the Word of God was given to us for. It was given so that we might know our Lord. So James, I think, gives us several different principles to think about, about what to do with the Bible. So my guess is, as I look around the room tonight, this may not be new information for any of us, but hopefully it will be some good reminders and some things that we can use to discuss together at the end. James 1, I'm going to begin reading in verse 19. Wherefore, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. For the wrath of man worketh not the righteousness of God. I'm not preaching on that verse tonight, but you could spend a long time just thinking about that thought. The wrath of man worketh not the righteousness of God. Wherefore, he says, lay apart all filthiness and superfluity of naughtiness and receive with meekness the engrafted word. Notice these next words, which is able to save your souls. That's good news right there. That's, that's the gospel, that the gospel can be found in the Word of God. How do we know that Jesus Christ died, that He was buried, that He rose again? We know it because the Word of God tells us that it is true. Then see verse 22, But be ye doers of the Word, and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. For if any be a hearer of the Word and not a doer, he is likened to a man beholding his natural face in a glass, for he beholdeth himself and goeth his way and straightway forgetteth what manner of man he was. But whoso looketh into the perfect law of liberty, and these next three words are really important, and continueth therein. This man being not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this man, which man? The man who looks and continues in the law of liberty. This man shall be blessed in his deed. 
if any man among you seem to be religious. Now he's talking about outward appearance, right? Somebody that looks religious. Anybody that seems to be religious and bridleth not his tongue, but deceiveth his own heart. This man's religion is vain. And then he finishes off the chapter, pure religion. And undefiled before God and the Father is this, to visit the fatherless and widows in their affliction and to keep himself unspotted from the world. As I read these verses, while there is great theology, if you will, in these verses, really deep thoughts that speak to the character and nature of God, there is so much practical truth right here for us to mine out of these few verses tonight because God's word if we use it correctly if we take it properly the way that God intended it to be God's word really can transform our lives let's pray as we look at this together tonight father as we dig in a little bit together tonight I pray that these next few minutes would be profitable as we are in your word we know that your word is profitable and so help our minds to be focused and our hearts to be open to what you have for us this evening. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. The last few weeks we talked about responding to trials and temptations. How do we resist temptation? How do we respond to trial? And I think the key to responding properly in those situations is found in your reaction to God's Word. What is God's word to you? How do you treat it? How do you uh, live in it? How do you consume it? How do you partake of it? And so I've just got a series of questions for you tonight to consider. The first question is this. Are you receptive to God's word? Are you receptive to God's word? And we see that idea covered in verses 19 through 21. He begins, as we just read a moment ago, talking about how we ought to live in our day-to-day -day life, that we ought to be quicker to hear than we are to speak, that we are to be slow to wrath. I'm sure you've heard it said before, but I think it bears repeating again. God gave you two ears and one mouth for a reason, right? He gave you two ears and one mouth for a reason. We are to listen before we speak. And uh, I remember even working in sales, they, they had this little thing that they would drill into us. They say, seek first to understand before you try to be understood. We have the tendency to rush into a situation and try to fix everything and tell everybody this and that and the other thing to do. When in fact, if we would spend some time listening to what's really going on, we might have a better answer for the situation altogether. So when we think about this in our uh, relationship with God's Word, He's telling us we're to, we're to be receptive to God's Word. We have to learn to listen and hear what God is saying. And He says there as He's speaking about man and his attitudes that the wrath of man worketh not the righteousness of God. So in your spiritual life, you are much better off listening to truth than trying to bring your own opinions and your own methods to bear on a situation. And he says, lay apart all filthiness and superfluity of naughtiness, which is, and receive with meekness the engrafted word which is able to save your souls. That's where I got the question for this point, first point. 
Are you receptive to God's Word? He says, receive with meekness the engrafted Word. Now, I think it's very interesting that he talks about our attitude in our receptiveness. So what is our attitude to be as we receive God's Word? It is to be an attitude of meekness, an attitude of meekness. Not coming to the Word of God with preconceived notions or our own uh, bias that we've already decided. This is the way it has to be, and therefore I'm going to find God's Word to back me up rather to say, no, I want to come to God's Word and say, God, teach me what I need to learn. God, show me where I need to change. If we come in assuming that we have all the answers, we come in assuming the wrong thing. And we must come in assuming that God wants us to hear. God wants us to listen. God wants us to receive His Word. So our attitude towards God's Word is to be a receptive attitude, and that receptiveness should be in a spirit of meekness. Meekness. Now, as I'm sure many of you have heard described before, meekness is not weakness, right? It's that strength under control. It's not somebody who doesn't think. It's not somebody who has no ideas. It's not somebody who's willing to consider and study, but it's somebody who's willing to submit their own will to the will of somebody else, to receive with meekness the engrafted word which is able to save your souls. So we are to be receptive and we are supposed to receive in a spirit of meekness and we're supposed to do this because God's Word is able to save our souls. God's Word is able to save our souls. And I think we could safely say, based on the context of this passage, He's not just speaking of the salvation that we have through Jesus Christ, eternal life in heaven. He's talking about the abiding, changing transformation that takes place in each one of us as we walk with the Lord. He said, well, why do you say that? Well, because at the beginning of the passage that we read tonight, in verse number 19, he says, My beloved brethren, he's speaking to those who have already received Jesus Christ as their Savior, so they don't have to keep on getting something that they already had. Rather, he's talking about the ongoing transforming work that God's Word continues to do in our lives as we continue to walk in faithfulness with Him. Does God's Word give us the gospel so that we may be saved from our sin? Yes. But does God's Word also give us the truth that we must remain in and walk in so that we continue to see God's work of sanctification take place in our life? Too many times people have treated God's Word as something that only is for those who are lost. But no, the gospel is not just for those who are lost. It's also for those who are saved that they may continue to grow in their walk with the Lord. Are you receptive to God's Word? The second question, he speaks about our obedience. Are you obedient to God's Word? Are you obedient to God's Word? Verse 22, but be ye doers of the Word, and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. So in the first few verses we looked at, he talked about how we hear God's Word. Now he builds upon it, right? He says, but be doers and not hearers only. Some may say, well, I, I do hear God's word. I, I receive it, whatever God says. I hear it. I listen to it. I'm not against it. I'm willing to hear God's word. And he says, yes, but be doers of the word. You see, he's building. First, there's the guy who just does a lot of talking and he won't even listen to God's word. 
that guy, that guy is not the guy we're supposed to be. We're supposed to be hearers of the word. But we're not just to be hearers of the word. Now he says you're also to be doers of the word. You see, it's like he's laying a foundation. He's building upon it. But be doers of the word and not hearers only. And he gives us those next four words, really important, deceiving your own selves. What does that mean? Well, very simply, somebody who just hears or receives God's word like in their ears, listens to it, but doesn't obey it, that person is in danger of deceiving themselves. They feel like they're in a better position than they really are because they have the knowledge of something, but they're actually not acting upon it themselves. It's sort of like the guy who feels like he knows how to do something really well because he's maybe done a lot of reading on the subject. Maybe he's talked with a lot of other people about the subject, but he's never actually gone out and tried to do it himself. Kind of like uh, what may have happened in some people's homes this afternoon as they sat on the couch and watched football. They may know what the positions are. They may know what the different players are supposed to do. They may have an idea about it, but stick a football in that guy's hand and tell him to do what he claims everyone on the field should be able to do, and it doesn't look like it at all. There's somebody who's receptive. They, they hear the truth, but when it comes to actually doing it themselves, not so much. And sadly, I think this is probably the place where the average churchgoer in America finds themselves. Like you probably, if you went to church this morning, as I think most all of you did, and you walked around and said, hey, do you want to hear the Bible? Oh, yes, yes, yes. But are you actually doing what it says? That's where the rubber meets the road probably for 99% of churchgoers in America. It's not that they're not hearing or don't want to hear. It's that now I actually have to do what it says. Be ye doers of the word and not hearers only. Why? Because otherwise you're just deceiving yourself. Are you obedient to God's word? And then you've heard this illustration probably before. This is one of my favorite illustrative passages in all of Scripture. Because it's so simple and it's something that all of us do, hopefully, on a daily basis. We get up and we look at ourselves in the mirror. In fact, it's really not hard to see the person who didn't look at themselves in the mirror this morning. You'll be able to pick them out pretty quickly. Say, so I don't think that guy looked at himself in the mirror. Shandy knows this. One of the things we've used in our house to help train our children about their own hygiene and taking care of themselves. I say, go look at yourself in the mirror. And they'll go in. Or sometimes even when there have been some bad attitudes. Any other parents do this? I'll say, go look at yourself in the mirror and look at what your face looks like. Um, and they'll go in and look at it. And pretty soon they're, they're kind of laughing and smiling and going, Whoa, you know, sheepishly. Like, I didn't realize I, I looked that upset. I'm not, I'm not upset. I'm not angry. And I'll say, well, go look in the mirror and tell your face that. Because right now you look very upset and angry. You're frustrated. And when we look in the mirror, what does it do for us? It shows us what we really look like, what we really look like. The mirror, if it's a good mirror, doesn't lie. And the Word of God, of course, in this illustration, is the mirror. The Word of God is the mirror that we ought to all be looking into. But if all we do is look at ourselves in the mirror and we don't do anything about the problems that we see, 
then we are just the person who is the hearer, but not the doer of the word. And that person is deceived. Because they, like that armchair quarterback, are sitting there feeling like they're pretty good at football and know a lot about it, and yet they're unable to actually do anything of consequence themselves. Does it bother you to see so many in our country, and while sadly the number is declining all the time of those who claim to be Christian, you look around and you say, those that claim to be Christian, I'm not sure if we, we are really doing much as Christians like the Lord would have us to do, and maybe that's why the number of Christians continues to decline in this country, because there are many who are hearers, there are many who are deceived, deceiving themselves, because they hear it, but they're not obedient to the Word of God. He continues on this description of this man who looks at himself in the mirror. He beholds himself, he goes his way, and straightway forgetteth what manner of man he was. And that's the reality, right? We can come to church on Sunday, we can hear God's Word, but if we leave from here and on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, we do not purpose to do, to obey, to follow through on what God's Word says, then we've just heard it and it hasn't done us any good. One of the people I spoke to recently made that comment to me. They said, you know, I, I, I feel like I can have a relationship with God on my own. I said, that's right, you can. And they said, but... I feel like coming to church doesn't really help because people just go and they leave and they aren't really any different than when they came. And I said, well, that would be true if people don't take the word and actually obey it and do what it says. Coming here doesn't do you any good if you don't take the truth that you learn and that you discuss with others and then go out and live it. Otherwise, this is just another place where, you know, a few times a year we gather and share some food together and we have some friends and, and we hang out and we have a good time. And that's no different than the people that are at the restaurant tonight or the people at the ballpark tonight or people anywhere else. The thing that sets us apart is the Word of God and the way that we respond to His Word. Are you obedient to God's Word? And he tells us we are not to be forgetful hearers, but a doer of the work. And he says, this man shall be blessed in his deed. So I want to ask the question, thirdly, are you continuing in God's word? This is somebody who's actually then living out, being obedient to God's word. And I want us to think about, and I'll have you talk about this a little more at the end together in your groups. How do you actually do that? So how do you go? What's your process for when you hear something from God's Word on Sunday at church, or you read, hopefully you're having daily time in your Word at home with your, by yourself, with your family, those kind of things. How do you take that and then live it out? Listen, I'm not here tonight to give you the three secret steps that nobody knows about. It's a challenge. It's hard. That is where it becomes really difficult. It's one thing to hear it, right? That's hard enough for some. That means getting up and getting here and, and getting involved and being with some things. But then to actually do it, to continue in God's Word. Let's look at these verses here quickly at the end of the chapter, verse 26 and 27. If any man among you seem to be religious and bridleth not his tongue, but deceiveth his own heart, this man's religion is vain. So now he's talking about the practical living. This is somebody who 
is saying that they're doing God's word. They seem to be religious. They seem to be going through the motions of doing the right things. So this is somebody who would claim not just to be a hearer, they are also a doer. But now he's starting to hone in on those who claim to be doers and say, are they really faithful in their doing? Are they continuing in their doing? And he says, if there is anybody that seems to be religion, religious but bridleth not his tongue, but deceiveth his own heart, this man's religion is in vain. Or his works, his duty, the things he's doing, if he claims to be religious, if he looks religious, but his tongue is not under control, and we'll get into the tongue a little bit later in more detail in the book of James. And he said, this man's religion is vain. What does he mean? Well, James later on tells us that the tongue is a little member, right? But it, it, it like the horse's bridle, can control the entire horse, or like the ship that's steered with just a small helm, turns this mighty ship back and forth. The tongue is extremely powerful and has influence over everything else. So what he's saying here, if I'm going to be living out and obedient to and continuing in the Word of God, then therefore it has to transform even what I say. What I say. I remember when I was a freshman in college in the freshman preacher boys class, we were challenged by the teacher from Paul's letter where he said to his son in the faith, let no man despise thy youth. But be thou an example of the believers in word, in conversation, in charity, in spirit, in faith, and in purity. And he said, men, this morning, we're just going to focus on that first word, word. Be an example of the believers in your word. And his challenge to us was this. Before, I want you to keep track how long you are able to speak words that are befitting of or an example of the believers. So... We couldn't use mean words, bad words, couldn't tell lies, couldn't do any of these things. He said, keep track of it, see how long you can do, and come back next class period and give us a report on how well you did of being an example of the believers in your words. And I'll never forget the guy who came back to class the next week, and he said, I didn't even make it out of the classroom. He said, this guy got in front of me, and I said, you idiot, get out of the way. And he said, and I realized right there I had lost... Uh, my example of the believers right there in words. Controlling the tongue is something that you cannot do in your own strength. It's something that requires the Holy Spirit of God working in and through you to be able to do. So what does this mean? Well, a hearer of the word must also become then a doer of the word, but a doer of the word cannot do what God's word wants him to do without the filling and work of the Holy Spirit inside of him. And the test for this is found very simply, according to James, in the tongue, in the tongue. Now, this is a little bit hard for me to preach to you tonight because if I had to stand up here and say, I have never used my tongue, or at least in the last week, I've not said, no words have passed out of my mouth that were not um, wholesome and pleasing and honoring to the Lord. I would be lying to you. <laughs> I would have just uh, once again committed another sin. So this is something that clearly we see requires a daily, 
moment by moment, focus upon and seeking of the Lord. Somebody who claims to be religious, who even looks to be doing all the right things, but doesn't have control over their tongue. This is somebody who their religion isn't real. It is vain. And so instead, he then gives us a very simple definition in verse 27 of what pure religion or what biblical actions ought to look like in our life, in the life of one who, yes, is hearing the word, but not only hearing it, they're doing it and they're continuing in it. They do it how? How do we continue in it? Pure religion and undefiled before God and the Father is this, to visit the fatherless and widows in their affliction and to keep himself unspotted from the world. Now those two things, visiting the fatherless widows in their affliction and keeping himself unspotted from the world, those are massive things, aren't they? First of all, how many are those in need? How many people around us are in need? Well, there's so many. So that's a massive job. And then keeping himself unspotted from the world. Wow, how challenging is that? We live in a wicked world. That's like saying, hey, go and run down the road and don't get any dirt on yourself. Man, you go outside. You're going to get something on you. I'll never forget with a youth activity many years ago, we were down on the, on the Galveston Ferry and we were traveling across there to the Bolivar Peninsula and one of the girls in our youth group was out there with us and we were enjoying standing at the front of the boat on the ferry boat and all of a sudden one of those seagulls flew down and it got her right on the side of her head and she ran down the, the boat there shrieking and ah, just totally grossed out as probably most all, all of us would have been grossed out. Now you might not have run around shrieking like she did, but uh, it was quite entertaining for all of us teenage boys, of course, to watch her. But we did learn a lesson, and this isn't what you came for, to church for tonight, but if you want to feed seagulls on the ferry in Galveston, feed them off the back of the boat, not off the front of the boat, because then the seagulls and everything that comes out of the seagulls ends up in the water out the back of the boat instead of on you on the front of the boat. But she had to learn that lesson the hard way, and uh, I felt very bad for her. But we think about living in this world and keeping yourself unspotted from it. It's complicated because living in this world feels like standing on the front of the ferry feeding seagulls and trying to dodge bullets that the, that the, uh, that the seagulls are dropping on you all the time. So how do we do this? Well, let me give you four just quick principles there at the end of your notes that may help us think about this together and then we'll divide up for some discussion in prayer time number one following God's word means a new approach to life it means a new approach to life as you read through these verses with me tonight in James we see he's calling us to a very different way of living this is not living for myself it's living for the Lord. This is not living with a worldly outlook on things, it's living with a spiritual outlook on things. So I think one of the things, if you are going to keep yourself unspotted from the world, if you're going to visit the fatherless and widows in their affliction, if you're going to have control over your tongue, then you have to be willing to take a new approach to life, to say, you know, some of the things that I learned growing up, some of the habits that I had, some of the 
processes that I was used to always following, I need to be willing to lay those things aside and to ask God to teach me a new way of living. The scripture says, therefore, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Behold, all old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. There is a new approach to life. Second principle to think about is this, that outward practices are worthless if not proceeding from an inward heart to please God. So you can try really hard in your own strength to do all the right stuff, but if it doesn't come from an inward heart that has a desire to please God, you're just going to end up tired and frustrated at the end of the day. And in reality, you're not going to end up any closer to God than when you started. I always pick on Brother Matt because he sits down front here, and this not to scare you, but, you know, Brother Matt, it'd be like if somebody joined the greeting team but didn't have a joyful attitude of greeting those who came in. It'd be really frustrating to be on the greeting team like that, wouldn't it? I mean, you'd, you have to be there early. You've got to set up coffee for people that are probably going to spill it anyway. And you, you have to give out papers for people that aren't even going to read them. And you got to, I mean, all this stuff. It'd just be frustrating to be a greeter if you were just doing it without an inward heart that has a desire to greet those who are visiting our church. Outward practices are worthless if not proceeding from an inward heart to please God. And that is why when we come and we approach God's word, I believe first and foremost we must come with a heart that says, Lord, teach me what you want to teach me. Show me where I need to change. Not just coming up with an attitude of, I want to learn something new or I want to see some cool thing in the text that I never saw before. No, God, show me how I need to change. That's the attitude of somebody who walks in and looks at the mirror. They're not just focused on one thing over here. No, they're taking it all in and saying, okay, where do, what, what eye needs to be fixed and what's, what's going on over here? And, you know, when you try to keep a beard, you end up like, I don't know, um, Eric, if you ever had this challenge, but you realize after you shave for a while, you're like, one side's getting a little higher than the other. And so you got to even that out. Maybe you don't have that problem. I, I have that problem sometimes. Back when I used to have just sideburns in college and I'd cut those things every day. I remember one time I really took a moment and actually looked in the mirror and one sideburn was about this much longer than the other sideburn. I thought, boy, how long have I been walking around looking like a goofball, you know? Just, just little things. You get so busy, you don't even have time to look in the mirror and straighten them out. Outward practices, though, are worthless if not proceeding from an inward heart to please God. So as we look at the Word of God, we have to be willing to say, Lord, show me what you want me to see. And then the third thing, true religion is one's character and conduct disciplined in accordance with God's Word. This really builds out of the previous principle. That if you're just trying to do more stuff so that God will be happier with you, you'll be frustrated. But if you allow your character, your inward heart, your inward person to be disciplined in accordance with God's word, allow God to change your thinking and attitude. You say, well, how do you do that? As you memorize his word, as you read his word, and then as you're careful to implement it in your life. If God shows you something as you're reading it or as you hear it in a message, don't just cast it aside. Say, Lord, okay, I heard this. How do I put it into practice in my life? 
Shandy and I had the opportunity to travel to a conference a couple weeks ago, and I love going to those. I take lots and lots of notes, and when I get back, I get out all my notes, and I start reading through them, and I think, okay, this is what this passage of Scripture says. This was the point that was made over here. How can I take that and apply that to my life right now? It's not all that complicated, but it does require getting up in the mirror and looking and saying, what needs to change? Just like my old sideburn problem in college. It just required taking a moment to get in the mirror and look and see what needed to change. And then the last principle, letter D there, or the fourth thing in your notes, God's emphasis is not on religious ritual, but on right living. God's emphasis is not on religious ritual, but on right living. Let's, as we come to the Lord, whether it be on a Sunday morning at church, or a Sunday night like this, or Monday morning when you get your Bible out, or Tuesday evening when you're with your family, or however you do it, May we come to it with an attitude of prayer. Lord, show me what you want me to learn. Lord, teach me what I need to know. Lord, show me areas that are wrong that need to change so that I can be more like you. And I believe if we'll be faithful to come to God's word with the right attitude, willing to change our actions, if God shows us areas that need to change, willing to come to him, and give it all to Him, then God will do with us what He wants. And He will be glorified, and our lives will be changed to be more like Him.